If you would, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 19 through 30. 19 through 30. And if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that, I short, that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. The Lord, in these few moments together, help us to hear your voice, to pay attention to what we hear, that we might obey you and honor you as our Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, many years ago now, when our kids were little, we decided it was time to buy them a swing set. And maybe you remember when your children were young and did something similar. So we looked online and we, we found a swing set, you know, looked nice, but not too complicated and uh, ordered it. Well, a few weeks later, it arrived in multiple boxes. <laughs> and two hours later, after we sorted out the pieces, I pulled out the manual <laughs> and I started to sweat and think of about a thousand things I'd rather be doing at that moment than that. Uh, maybe you can identify. But to make a long story short, our neighbor, who was a handyman, had all the tools. You know, his, he was one of those guys that his garage looked like a workshop. He had mercy on us, and he, and he came over. He saw us meddling around in the backyard trying to figure it out, and he came over and helped us. And, you know, it was especially helpful, besides the fact that he did most of the work, was <laughs> the fact that uh, he demonstrated how to put the stuff together. Sometimes just, you know, we learn that way. We, we learn best sometimes by just seeing somebody do it, to show you, to demonstrate 
rather than reading the manual, um, which most of us don't do anyway. But that, you know, that's why we watch uh, YouTube videos, instructional videos. I don't know if you do that, but many people do for that very reason. Well, Paul, in his letters, often calls believers to imitate another's faith, sometimes his own faith. And that's, you'll see that theme verse on the, the front of your worship guide, which is not the text I'm preaching on, but it's very relevant to our text today. Philippians 3.17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Well, in our passage this morning, we find two such examples to imitate, Timothy and Epaphroditus. But before we get into our text, I wanted just to address a few questions at the outset. You know, first of all, is Paul really setting these men forth as an example for them to follow? Seems like he's just talking about travel plans for his ministry work and corresponding with the Philippians. Well, there is some of that in this text, obviously. But in addition to 317, which I just read, we have other indications in the letter which lead us to believe that these men are indeed set forth as examples for us to follow and how to live. We see this all the way up to this point in the letter. The kinds of things that we see in these men are the things that Paul is exhorting the Philippians to live out, living in a manner worthy of the gospel, chapter 1. And then in the beginning of chapter 2, living in an others-oriented way, putting the concerns and needs of others above our own. So what we have in our passage is more than merely travel plans. Second question, why do we need examples like this? You know, he just gave the example of Christ at the beginning of the chapter. Why more examples? Well, last week, if you were here, uh, Pastor Weldon talked about the gap between what we say we believe and actually how we live. And if we're honest, we all struggle with that. There is a gap that we need to deal with. And we're called in verse 15, passage from last week, to live as to shine as lights in a dark world, or as he put it, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. The question arises, well, how is that to be done? What does that look like? We need examples So the question I want us to ask as we proceed is, you know, what do we learn from these men about what it looks like to shine as lights in a dark world? Point one on your outline. First of all, we shine by not seeking our own interests, but those of Christ. Here we have the example of Timothy. And he mentions many positive qualities about Timothy, his proven service, his reliability, but there's one that stands out. Starting in verse 20, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. 
They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. We don't know exactly who he's referring to, they all who seek their own interests, but most likely it includes those he's mentioned already in chapter 1, those who preached out of envy and rivalry for selfish motives. Now this quality in Timothy of being concerned for others' welfare echoes that earlier exhortation in chapter 2 that we know so well but have a very hard time putting into practice. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The first thing I want to highlight about Timothy's example is that his concern for the Philippians' welfare was genuine. It was genuine concern. That seems very basic, but, you know, we can fake that. We can fake concern for others. Probably the classic example of this in Scripture is Judas Iscariot from the Gospels. If you remember the story when Mary came in and wiped and washed Jesus' feet with her hair and the expensive ointment, the text tells us that Judas said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? The text goes on to say, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He handled the money, and he wanted to dip into the money uh, that could have been had from selling that ointment. Is your concern for others a genuine concern? Perhaps the question that may expose the answer, or the right answer to that, would be to ask your family. Ask your wife, those who know you well, is my concern for others genuine? Or is it fake? But be encouraged that, you know, wherever our hearts are with this, Christ's concern and love for you is certain. We can know without a doubt that his love for us is not selfish, it's not harmful in its motive, but has our good in mind. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that about your Savior? Note also that Timothy's concern for the Philippians' welfare is tied to the things of Christ. In other words, to be about the things of Christ is to be about others. You know, don't be mistaken in this. There is no me-centered Christianity in the scriptures. To be about the things of Christ is to love others, to be concerned for others above even our own concerns for their eternal good. Doesn't scripture tell us that love seeks not its own? 1 Corinthians 13. Or in Romans chapter 15, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And the reason in that context is, for Christ did not please himself, but gave himself up for us 
You know, we live in a world of self-obsession. I don't think I have to convince anyone of that fact. Or as Paul says in other place, uh, lovers of self, obsessed with self. Probably the clearest examples that we see this is perhaps in our conversations with other people. Do you engage with people in conversation to talk about yourself primarily or to hear about others' concerns? You know, that's a good practical application of that is to, you know, when you talk to people, especially fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, do you ask questions or do you just tell them stuff about yourself? That's a very practical way to be other-centered How are they doing? How can you pray for them? Maybe they need someone to talk to and they don't have someone and it would minister to their their needs. And then certainly, probably the most obvious is social media. Some of you may use that more than others, but that's a a main avenue of self-obsession. And you know, think about the, the practical irony of social media. If everyone is trying to draw attention to themselves, then no one is actually wanting to see what others are posting about themselves, other than maybe fuel for envy or rivalry. It's a defeating pursuit. There is freedom and joy in self-forgetfulness. I've often said that the the quickest way to become depressed or discouraged is to focus on yourself, is to look inward. There's freedom and joy in self-forgetfulness. But how do we do that? How do we forget ourselves? We're so prone, we're so seemingly hardwired to do that in our sin. Well, one primary way is knowing and believing that God loves you and will take care of your needs. That is so basic, is it not? A truth taught clearly in the scriptures. Yet as basic as it is, we struggle to believe it. We struggle. Yet this is exactly what Paul encourages the Philippians with. You know, they're, they're sending him a gift. They're seeking to minister to Paul in his need, being other-centered. And Paul encourages them in response in chapter 4, verse 19. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. See, when we don't believe that, we spend all our time trying to make up for it by turning in on ourselves, trying to meet our own needs, trying to make sure we're taken care of because we're not so sure anybody else will take care of us. And we become self-centered, self-obsessive, and quite frankly, we become someone no one wants to be around. It's hard to minister to people like that. However, if you do believe that God loves you, we'll take care of your needs. You're freed up 
to strive outwardly, to look outside of yourself, to care and love others. Because God has got you covered. He knows your needs. He will take care of you. If you think about it, renouncing self-centeredness is at the very heart of following after Christ as his disciples. In Mark chapter 8, you know this call well. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Following Christ involves denying ourselves out of love for him and love for others. Concern for others. When was the last time you revisited this call? This fundamental call upon your life if you would follow after Christ? Has your life become something or about something other than the things of Christ? So we shine by not seeking our own interests, but the interests of Christ. Secondly, we shine by taking risks for Christ. And here we have the example of Epaphroditus. He's described here many ways as a fellow worker, soldier, messenger, and minister to Paul's need. However, what's highlighted is what's related to his illness Verse 26 and 27. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, when I read over this text for this sermon, one of the things that stuck out to me was that Epaphroditus being near to death in his sickness was actually distressed for the Philippians because they heard he was ill. He was concerned about them, that they might be worried and anxious about him. How many of us would have that kind of reaction? Or that approach? How often are we distressed only for ourselves? When something like this would happen to us, as serious as that is, how prone are we just to think about ourselves, our needs, our hurts, our anxieties? And here he is thinking about the Philippians. Later in verse 28, Paul himself displays an other-centeredness in being eager to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippians, even though he was a minister to Paul's need, a useful minister. Yet he's wanting to send them back for their joy, for their encouragement. Remember, Paul's in prison when he's doing this. The important aspect regarding his illness that I want to highlight is what Paul describes as risking his life for the work of Christ. 
Verse 30 tells us, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That last part about lacking in their service to him is not a sinful lack, but really a logistical one. As we find out later in the letter, Epaphroditus completed their act of service to Paul by delivering the gift in person. But note again here, the work of Christ is service to others. And in this case, Paul. Again, this echoes the mind of Christ earlier in the chapter. You remember when Christ is described as having made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. It goes on to say he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here we have Epaphroditus being very Christ-like, seeking to complete this work of ministry and service to Paul, even risking his life, being obedient even unto death. Well, how should we make sense of this idea of risking our lives for the work of Christ? Sinclair Ferguson observes, Epaphroditus teaches us that there is no such thing as a risk-free life of faith. And there's many reasons for this. In many other texts uh, of Scripture, first of all, we are ignorant of many things. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what might uh, come along our path. James chapter 4 talks about this, that we shouldn't presume, but we should entrust ourselves to the Lord. But often uh, we, we walk around with this mirage of, of security and control which is elusive for us, from our side of things. How much are we really in control? How, much, how, how secure can we, can we really make ourselves? We know also from other passages that those who follow Christ will be persecuted and hated, just like Jesus was. So in that sense, it's risky to be a Christian in the fallen world. But in the midst of that, remember that Jesus Christ is certain. He is sure. And as Ferguson goes on to say, it is no gamble to rest our hopes on him. Indeed, to fail to do so is to risk and lose all. This is consistent with Jesus' call to his disciples. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So it's in this sense that we are to risk our lives for Christ in the gospel. Not for selfish reasons. You know, we don't go around inventing risks to take so that we can draw attention to ourselves or earn something from God, earn his favor. No, we risk by following after him, 
doing what he's called us to do in his word. That's what it means to risk for the work of Christ. Ask yourself this question. Have I risked anything for Christ? Have I risked anything for him recently? For the things that he's clearly called me to do in his word? Are you risking for Christ? You know, all of these things that we've looked at to this point, they're all very challenging, very convicting, and even scary to think about. What's that going to mean for me to live this way? What's that going to look like? And there still be, may be a nagging question in your mind. If I really live this way, am I forfeiting joy? Am I giving up on enjoying life? And it's just going to be one of hardship. Well, though the enemy might tempt you otherwise... Risking your life for Christ is not the same thing as wasting your life. I find the enemy often tempts us in this way. He'll whisper to you, you only live once. You only have one life to live. And you're going to waste it by following this path of suffering and persecution No pleasure, only pain. Don't you want to be somebody in this world? Don't you want to be remembered as somebody? Or he may whisper to you this. You know, you can't spend all your time thinking about other people. You have to take care of you. And the the implied notion there in that temptation is that nobody else will. Nobody will take care of you. You've got to take care of yourself. That is not what the scriptures teach about the children of God. I want you to know that there is real joy to be had, not just in the future life, but in this life. Because God is our exceeding joy. There's joy in the Holy Spirit. You may be thinking to yourself, well, if I, you know, if I put others above myself, risk my life for Christ, I just, I just don't see how in the midst of that that I can have joy. It's not... It's not humanly possible. How can that be? I don't know what your circumstances are today. Maybe you're going through something very difficult and you don't know how to even begin to find joy in your circumstances. Remember that Paul, in this letter, talks about real joy that he's experiencing in the midst of being in prison. And Christ himself served and completed his work with the joy set before him, enduring the cross. Don't think for a moment that Jesus, even in his earthly sufferings, 
didn't have joy. He was full of the Spirit, full of the joy of the Spirit, joy in the Father. And when you don't see how that could be in your case, remember, he can do beyond what we can ask or even imagine. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. We are often self-centered, not loving towards others. Lord, conform us to the image of Christ in those ways that we would look to the interests of others, be concerned for others, and be willing to risk our lives for the work of Christ, knowing all along that you will take care of us, that you will meet our every need, that we can be freed up to think about others. Help us to do that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.